0: You all can grab a seat. Good morning. My name is Brandon. We're going to be in Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7 this morning. If you want to go ahead and grab a Bible, Uh, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to get up and get one from one of the communion tables. It's on page 762. If you're using one of those Bibles, 762. Acts chapter 6 and 7 is where we're going to be this morning. Y'all doing all right today? Good. One person said yeah, and the rest of you are not okay. So we'll talk after church. And uh, no, I'm excited to be here today. My wife and I were out of town last weekend celebrating 11 years of marriage. And so it was, there's something about being away from the body for a while that makes you miss it. Yeah, I'll let you celebrate that. Thank you. And so, um, but we're excited to get to be back here with you today. Um, a couple of things as we, uh, as we jump in this morning to a time of teaching. And so um, in a couple weeks on June 8th, I wanna invite you to mark your calendars, get out your phones um, to, to put this on your schedule. On June 8th, um, we got invited to, to do something in this community that's really cool. And so a couple weeks ago, several of you were able to come and, and to serve. I know Danielle was there, several other people were able to, to be a part of this day where we went into this housing development right behind Marathon called Andrew Jackson Court's Apartments. And it's, it's the projects. And, they, and, and so we went in there and we go, man, we, we are meeting in this neighborhood. We don't just wanna show up on Sundays. We want to know the people and love the people and, and get to know the people that God has put around us. And so we had lunch and, and just got to play games. And it was so fun. For our church to just be welcomed in, and it was on that day that we got to meet the the director who is in charge of all the residents. There's 350 something um, family units that live in those apartments. And we got to meet the person who kind of coordinates uh, events for them to connect. And her name is Miss Sylvia. She's actually one of Deb's friends, the Deb's connection. And um, and so Miss Sylvia said, "Hey, on June 8th, we're having this event called Strong Family Day." And she said, one of the things that happens in, in our community is that we celebrate Moms and Mother's Day really well, but Fathers and Father's Day kind of gets neglected. And, and we wanna be more proactive about building up and blessing the family units and, and, and the men. And so on June 8th, um, we're going to block off the street right from the Boys and Girls Club, right on 16th Street, and we're just going to have a big day of celebrating. So there's going to be stations set up for kids to get their faces painted and, and all kinds of games and food and a karaoke stage and, and all these things. And they said, hey, would your church just come? We don't, don't bring anything. You don't need to bring food. You don't need to just bring yourself, and we want you to be a part of it. And it was just this really cool opportunity, like God just swinging open this door for us. And so here's what I want to invite us. I would love for 100 people from our church family to go that day. So it's on June 8th from 12 to 4. I know that, hey, you might not be able to stay that whole time, but could you come for an hour or two and, and for us just to show up and to, and to really show, hey, we're serious about being a church and not just showing up for church. We're serious about being the church. And, and I know on Saturdays, it's like, man, that's your day off and you have things to do. Can you rearrange some things so that you could be there? And I know that some of you guys already have plans. I go, but this is an important thing that when we get invited in, it's like if I invite you over to dinner and you're like, I just don't wanna come, right? It's like, there's, there's something about that, that there's a, this invitation. Hey, we want you to be a part of this neighborhood. And so when we're invited, it's important that we show up. And so on the serve board on the way out, there are places for you just to sign up so that we can kind of hold you accountable. I'm gonna send you an email every day until you sign up. Just kidding, but, <laughs> but, but, but seriously, if you'll sign up. And so this is coming on June, um, June 8th from 12 to 4. Um, The second thing, hey, if I know many of you, and I know we're gonna be praying over Corey at the end tonight, many of you are gonna be traveling this summer kind of doing global work. Some of that's gonna be within the United States. Some of you guys are going international, all over the globe. If you're gonna be going and kind of advancing the kingdom or serving in some capacity, would you also, there's a a different sheet on the sign-up board. Would you just sign up? Because we want to know who is traveling, who's going, and when you're going. Number one, so that we can pray over you, but also we can pray for you when you're gone. And, and it's just easy to miss people. And so we don't want to miss anyone. Um, as you're gone. The third thing is um, we invited you on the Marathon Facebook page and on the Ethos email this week. Two of our uh, family members here at Marathon are going to Uganda in a little, in a little while, and we're, they're trying to collect medicine to take to um, the, the orphanage that they're going to be working with. And so next week, uh, if you want to bring medicine, you can do that. You can also drop stuff off just in front of the serve board, and we'll get it if you brought medical supplies today. So I know that's a lot. Thanks for hanging with me. Let's pray, and then we'll jump in. God, Thank you so much for the gift of life, for letting us be alive, for giving us the ability to hear and to see and to taste and to feel and to smell. Thank you for the way that you've just made us. And I'm grateful for the, the men and women and children that are here today. And God, I pray that, that this morning you would draw us close to you and to your heart. God, I'm asking that you would speak to each of us. And that you'd speak into our lives. And so um, I believe, God, that you're going to speak. And so would you help us to let our our ears be unclogged, to let our hearts be open, let the walls come down. And would you speak to us, God? We want to obey you. We want to love you with all of our heart. And there's just so much that distracts us, that keeps us from walking with you. And so, God, would you just flood in this morning? And would you speak to us as a community? And we love you. And I pray, God, that you would speak today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Have you ever noticed how it's so often the hard experiences, the, the hard things that come our way that, that have this way of revealing how much we value something? You ever notice how it's, it's so often the hard things that come our way that, that have this way of, of showing us how and what we actually value? You know, I remember when my wife was, um, going through PT school, she wanted to be a physical therapist, and so <clears throat> the way that it worked is it's three years, and you're with a, a group of people, and and you take every class with them for the next three years. And at the end of that three years, you become a doctor. And so she makes me call her doctor around her house, and just kidding, but she's gonna make you call her doctor. <clears throat> and <clears throat> terrible joke. Um, so she um, she starts this program, and she goes through the first year, and they get to the second year, and there was this guy who had he didn't pass the second year of PT school. It's kind of a big deal. It's like a lot of money and a lot of energy to get to the end and to not pass it. So he kind of had this moment where he had to decide, hey, am I, gonna, am I gonna take out another loan and be all in? Or am I gonna just change course and, and do something different? And, and it was kind of this moment where he had this decision to make. Like, what, what does he really value? right? And so he's like, I'm going to stick this thing out. And so he takes out the loan and he studies harder and, and he goes through with Courtney's class and he's up graduating, becoming this doctor and it's just this great success story they're going to make a movie about one day. And, and he's just this, this guy that, that faced resistance and he worked through it. And, and what you see in the midst of resistance is what he actually valued. And, and so often life just has this way of, of revealing the things that we actually value. Think about my friend Stan, and Stan is over at the cannery, and for almost 30 years, he was married to his wife. And what you realized in Stan's life is you didn't see how much he valued her when everything was good. So it wasn't when, when you know, job was was easy and money was flowing in and kids were being easy to raise and, and everything was stable and they were going on dates and trips. And it wasn't when everything was, was good that you saw how much he valued his wife. No, it was when the, the last five years of life where she gets diagnosed with Early onset dementia, and she can't remember anything or anyone. And it was in those years where she couldn't take care of herself, so he did. And there's something about the hard stuff that that reveals the value, right? And and, and there's something about the book of Acts, and and I love what Ben taught on. You slaughtered it last week. I listened to the podcast, and you just did an amazing job teaching last week. And, And he said this line if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it. He said, That nothing can stop the movement of God. And, and, and I want to pick up right where he left off, because it is absolutely true that in the book of Acts and in our world and in our context and all over the world, there's nothing that can stop the movement of God. But here's what you need to know. But many things will try. Nothing will stop the movement of God, but many things will try. Today, we're going to look at two of the ways that the community of followers of Jesus in the first century faced some testing. Face some things that that came up against the movement of God that tried to stop it. And so we're going to cover some big chunks of scripture today, Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7. I'm not going to read it all. Um, We're going to kind of do an aerial view. I'll touch down in a few places. But these are two different things that we see that that come up. And so if you take notes, these are two things that we're going to look in today uh, that that set itself up against the, the, the community, the movement of God. The first is this that you see some conflict from within the community. You see conflict from within the community. The second thing that we see is resistance from those that they're trying to reach. Conflict from within the community and resistance from those we're trying to reach. So let's look at that first idea. The hard things reveal, the things that we truly value. So often it comes from conflict within the own community. So in Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. This is what it says. It says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 apostles gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom and we will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procrus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenus, and Nicholas from Antioch, who was a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so what you see here in Acts chapter 6 is, is that the, the movement of God is, is continuing to grow. More people are coming to follow Jesus. And yet this, this issue comes up, and it's a very legitimate issue, that some of the widows are being overlooked meant that, that these women and their society, it says the Hellenistic Jews. And so what this meant is that, that women who lived outside of Jerusalem, who'd been influenced by the Greek culture, so often later in life, they didn't have family to take care of them. They didn't have social security to take care of them. And so they would move into the city so that God's people could take care of them. And what we know from Acts chapter four is that from time to time, People of God would, would be generous. they would sell a field, they would sell a home, and they would lay this money at the apostles' feet. And so the apostles had been commissioned by Jesus in Acts chapter one. I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth and they're trying to advance the kingdom and tell people about the, the resurrected Jesus. And they also find themselves in the midst with, with all this money and all this needs, and they're doing whatever they can to keep taking care of people. And they come to this point where they realize, man, we can't do everything. And unintentionally, they start to overlook these these women. And I love what happens because it comes to their attention that some women are going to bed hungry. They're being overlooked. And I love that they don't dismiss it and they don't disregard it, but they also realize they don't have the capacity to do everything. So they delegate it. And I love this because I think this is so important that you see in this community a, a willingness to not only point out the holes that exist, but to do something about it, right? In our culture, isn't it so easy to be a critic, right? It it is so easy to stand on the outside and to notice and to make comments when things are off. But here's the deal. As God's people, we are not made to be critics. We're made to be contributors, right? And we can stand on the outside and be critical all day long, but that doesn't do anyone any good if we're not willing to step in and do something about it. So here's what's happening. The people of God face this internal stress, this internal frustration. They face some conflict. They, they realize that they had been missing it. And what you see happening is that the community of God's people, the followers of Jesus, they, they actually value doing something about it. They don't just bring it to the attention of, of the apostles. Hey, you're overlooking the needs. You need to do something about it. What you see is that they point out, but they're also willing to step in. This is what I love about getting to be a part of this church is that I see this in our church family. Like, it's so fun getting to teach passages of scripture where we're actually living into this. It's so much harder when you're like, hey, we got to go. We're not doing this well. But I see us doing this well. Places where, where, where we're missing it in some areas and people don't just point it out, but they step in with their lives to meet a need. Think about Emily and Kalayla and Jonathan, some others. Sarah, they're not here this morning. Drew and Megan. And, 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 like we've been having conversations the past few years. Hey, that, that there are some deep roots of racism that still exist. And it might not be like it was in the 50s and the 60s, but there's still just some, some deep influences of racism in our culture, not necessarily in our church, but, but our church isn't excluded. But it's most certainly in our culture and it's not okay. And I love, as I've been having these conversations. It's not going, hey, Brandon, you need to do something about it. It's, hey, we see this issue. We want to help. It's been amazing teaching grow classes at retreat, some, some educational, like to, to, to teach us, to educate us is the first step so often. We've been in conversation with, with, with this group going, man, how do we educate and equip our church body to not just notice the holes, but to do something about it? I think about my brother, Gerald, last summer, several of you guys got to be a part of this, that we had this men's night of worship and worship and, and and it was so neat because hanging out with Gerald and Gerald's going, man, I don't, I don't have a desire for us to have this amazing men's ministry that exists apart from everything else. It's like, I want us to have men that are great husbands and great fathers and that are impacting uh, their workplaces and their communities. And, and, and he goes, I see this need and I wanna do something about it. Or I know several of you, you mean, you've, you've come to, the, to this place where you, where you see a need, whether it be with, with foster care, Or in in grow classes, places where our church, man, there are holes where we're not being fully discipled. And instead of going, hey, you need to do something about it. You go, I want to do something about it. And I want to say this because you need to understand this. You do not need permission to meet a need that blesses the body of Christ. You do not need permission to build up the body to advance the kingdom of God. If you see a need, maybe there's a reason that you're seeing it and no one else is because God wants you to do something about it, not someone else. Meet that need, right? And if it's bigger than you, then get your friends and get your family to help. It's so easy to, to see a need and to be like, Matt, will you just take care of this need? No, it's like you see a need and you're going, I'm going to do something about it, right? Isn't that the kind of church you want to be a part of? where we don't just come to church to, to listen and to sing, but we go, man, my, my week this week was, was my eyes were open. What are the needs around me? And how can I use my life and the Holy Spirit? And how can I use my gifts and, and what I've been given to meet the real needs around me? And life is so much more fun when we start to view life through that context. I love that The way this passage ends in verse seven says, so the word of God spread, the numbers of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. A big takeaway from this text that Christ has put us in this city to reach the lost. And there are things that are gonna come up, important things, kingdom things. And we have to collectively commit to working through these things together where everyone is contributing with the end in mind of being to reach our city for Jesus, right? And if that's not our goal, if our heart isn't to reach lost people, then there's something that's going on in our heart. There's something that God needs to deal with. If we're only thinking about ourselves and we're only thinking about our comfort, if we're not caring about the people who do not know Christ, who don't have his love, who don't have his forgiveness, who don't have his heart, we go, God, give us your heart. God, we don't want to just play this game. And I love because the church, man, they they knew the purpose which God had put them on the planet for, that there were people all around them that were not going to know about Christ. They were going to not know that he was alive unless someone told them. And whose job was it to tell them? Not someone else's job. It was their job. And so as needs come up, man, they, they fill them and they work through them for the purpose of reaching a city. And I go, that's what God has put us here for. And as Jenna, as you see needs, meet those needs and keep the end in mind that, man, our job is to reach the lost in this city. They faced conflict from within the community. They overcame it. The result was more and more people came to know Jesus. The second area of opposition that we see rising in the middle of the book of Acts is resistance from those we're trying to reach. So it's not just conflict from within the community, like we're all familiar, right, that that things come up in, in our own community, but What we see happening, we're about to jump into, is resistance from the very people we're trying to reach. And so you see this in Acts chapter six, starting in verse eight. It says, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, he performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Listen to this, then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen. They brought him before the Sanhedrin and they produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stops speaking against the holy place and against the law. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. And so what you see here, this Stephen, this same Stephen, who had just been appointed by the people of God to care for the widows. And I think that's so beautiful because he's gonna fulfill what the church has asked him to do. But you also see this desire in him that that he's gonna do what Christ has called him to do. That Christ has called him to perform signs. That Christ has called him to to, to preach. And so his job isn't just to take care of these widows. He's he's called to advance the kingdom. As I was reading this passage of scripture this week, what I saw is just the darkness that existed, the resistance that was in the hearts of the people. The very people that Stephen and the early church are trying to reach. Listen to these verses in verse 11 and verse 13. They secretly persuaded, or verse 13, they produced false witnesses. And I go, man, what were people willing to do to cover up because they did not want Jesus? Man, they're lying, they're scheming. And I go, maybe you've experienced some of this in life. Not necessarily Jesus, but, but maybe you've felt what it's like for someone to be personally against you. Maybe it's in high school, or maybe it's in college where, where someone started rumors about you. Simply because they didn't like you. Or maybe it's in your work where someone kind of undermines you, they go behind your back. Trying to crush you? And what you see here is that these malicious people, they they didn't like Stephen. They didn't like what he stood for. And the majority of Acts chapter seven is him standing in front of the Sanhedrin and and he's he's speaking to to this group of men, this council of men, these people who, who had the religious heritage but had no relationship with Christ. These people who knew how to go through the motions, who knew the scriptures, but but there was no heart connection with Jesus. There was no real love. There was no appreciation. There was no acceptance of Christ into their hearts. And Stephen says some hard words to them. Verse 51 of Acts chapter seven. He ends his speech to them by saying this. Acts chapter seven, verse 51. He says, you stiff-necked people. It's a great way to start a conversation, right? He says, Your heart and your ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. And when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voice, They all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. And meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And man, what stood out to me is the the opposition to Christ and his followers, how fast it had escalated. Just a few days earlier, this is what Ben talked about last week. The same group attempted to, to, to keep the followers of Jesus quiet by putting him in prison. And now they're stoning a man? And you see that this this level of resistance in their hearts and and their physical demeanor is is reflective of their inner disposition. You know, they're covering their ears and they're yelling because they do not wanna listen to what Stephen is telling them. And these hard words are being spoken. They're going, hey, hey, you saw Christ. These Sanhedrin, these people, they would have heard Jesus teach. They would have seen him do the miracles. They would have seen him heal the deaf and raise the dead. They would have seen him come back to life and they were resistant to it. They would not believe it. And he looks at them and he says, you keep resisting God. And they're going, no, we're not. And I go, man, how many of of you is that true of? That God keeps speaking something. He keeps stirring something in your heart. And, and you might not doing it with your ears, but you're doing it with your lives. You're going, no, God, I don't want that. He keeps going, verse 59. And while they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. Let's keep going, verse one of chapter eight. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. In verse four, this is where we're in in our reading today. But those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. In the midst of all this resistance, what do you see happening? Man, you see what our spiritual ancestors really valued. And what they valued was Christ. You know, it's easy to offer lip service to Jesus when nothing is on the line. But when, but when your faith in, in the first century means you're going to be put in prison or, or what you see happening at the end of chapter seven or chapter eight, that, that you're now a refugee. Could you imagine like leaving here today and not getting to go back to your apartment? Not getting to go back to your home because you're a follower of Jesus because you've been run out? not getting to see your family, not getting to to go back to your job tomorrow. What if everything in your life exploded today because of Christ? We had to flee Nashville today because persecution broke out. And we see when things get hard, what you really value. When life gets hard, and everything, the pretense is it's stripped away and, and you get down to it. You see what you actually value and you see how much you value it. And the first thing that people do when they are scattered, says that they're preaching the word. Are you kidding me, Jackson? Could you imagine not getting to go home to your dorm today where you live? And Jackson's not in college, he's a dorm dad or whatever the official title is. But, but to, 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 to go back and, and to go, man, hey, you have to migrate to, to Miami. And instead of going, hey, like, I can't believe all that happened. The first thing you do is you're telling people about Jesus. Like, Amanda, can you imagine that? You don't get to go show up for work tomorrow. And there's such a value. You don't care about everything else. You're not mourning it. The thing that you're going is, oh, what an opportunity to share Christ. If any of you guys were here back in October, we are partners with, um, with some churches in Eastern India in Kolkata and Pius and J. Sheree and Sharbani and Pushpan, Pius and Jay Shree are kind of our lead church pastors over in Eastern Africa, uh, in India, and they were here with us. And, and just this um, last night, I get an email from Pius. And before Christmas, um, there was this woman who lived in this village, and she was just begging, hey, we plant a church in our village. And he's like, I don't have the ability to do that right now. Like can't plant a church in your village. And she just keeps begging. She gets his number. She starts calling him. She's just like, she will not say no. And he's like, I tell you what, we're having this Christmas service. If you'll come to it, like this is, this is it. And so this woman makes this like 45 minute trip to come to church every Sunday. And she's calling him and she's begging him, will you please start a church in our village? We need Christ. We need Christ. And, and finally, he's like, okay, God, like it's clear that, that this community needs Christ. And so uh, it's starting in February, they start a church. There's 40 people there in a Hindu village. And last night, the community is going around to the, the Christians in this village. And they're knocking on their door and they're saying, you better not go to church tomorrow. Like this happened last night. As you and I were going to bed, right? Brushing our teeth, saying our prayers, thinking about what we're going to have for breakfast, thinking about what we're going to talk about today, what we're going to have for lunch today. And I go, man, they're, they're, their choice was, am I going to go to church in the morning? And what's going to happen if I go? Pia sends this to me in the email. We know the torture and difficulties that is a part of our lives. We are happy that God has chosen us to go through this difficulties. Please pray for us that through our lifetime, we can glorify him. You know, we're not in the same context as as Pius and Jay Sheree. We're not surrounded by by Hindus who are knocking on our door, threatening us. We better not go to church tomorrow. And we're not living in a hostile first century where Jews are opposed to us, where they're they're dragging us to jail, where, where we're at risk of losing our whole lives. And I go, how does something like this even apply to us? It feels so far, right? How does this speak into our situation? And, and I just, I go, man, I wonder if this is a call for us to examine. Are we actually sharing Jesus with the people that need him most? This is what is happening at the crux of Acts 6, 7, and 8. They just won't speak. They won't quit speaking about Christ and what Christ has done. In our culture where we're told that it's offensive, it's an imposition. Man, we're we're, we're too close-minded to share Jesus. Man, do do we share him with the people that we were sent here to reach? Our neighbors. Think about that. Have any of you talked about Jesus with your neighbors? And that's not like a a question that makes you feel guilty, but go, man, if, if we're called to be followers of Jesus and to speak of Jesus, are we actually doing it? And sometimes those questions are uncomfortable. You know, I hated, uh, I was thinking about in elementary school, I don't even remember what it was called, but, but you, would have, you would go through these tests. You'd have to do a pull-up and you'd have to climb the rope. Did any of you guys have to do that in elementary school? And I hated it because I couldn't do a pull-up and I couldn't climb the rope and it always exposed what I couldn't do. And so often those questions where it's like, hey, have you shared Christ? We're going, man, no, I haven't. And we don't ask those questions to make us feel bad. We ask it to go, man, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So let's start doing that. Are we talking about Christ with our coworkers and our family and people we meet at Nashville soccer club games and at Ascend when we're going to concerts or at Centennial when you're playing volleyball or whatever it is that you're doing. Are we sharing Christ? Are we sharing his love with people? Like this city needs the love of Christ. Are you sharing it? Are we sharing his power that is unleashed when you pray over someone? Man, so often sharing Christ isn't just sitting and telling, hey, Jesus died for your sin. So often it's, hey, can I just pray for you right now? Are we sharing what Christ has done in our lives? Are we inviting people to come and to worship in his presence? Or have we become silent? You know, I realize, are are we looking for people to share Jesus with or are we looking to avoid opposition? And it's uncomfortable, right? And in our culture, we're not gonna, you know, we're not gonna be dragged off by, 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 Hindu um, extremists, and we're not gonna be dragged off by, by Jewish extremists in our culture. The reality is people might say some bad things about us, but it's uncomfortable, right? Like, do any of you feel like it's uncomfortable to, to pray? It's uncomfortable to break down that barrier with your family. I mean, Courtney and I talk about that. Like, it's, it's hard to talk about the things of God sometimes in your family, and what God's doing in your life, but maybe your family is a, the family that needs to hear what God is doing, and maybe you're the person which God is trying to work through. And it's uncomfortable to, to talk to your neighbors and your coworkers, but so often the uncomfortable things is where we grow. Thursday morning, I'm, I'm sitting in the chair and I'm drinking coffee, and Finley comes against my lap. She's my oldest daughter. And there's this word on the side of my coffee mug. And, you know, she's in kindergarten, so she's learning to to read. And I'm like, hey, say this word. And that was exactly her reaction. She just sat in silence. I'm like, hey, let's just just try it. Just try to sound it out. More silence. And I'm like, just just try it. And she's like, Dad, I don't know how to do it. I'm uncomfortable. And I'm like, Finley, I'm going to help you. Just sound it out. Just try. I'm not going to make fun of you. I'm not going to crush you if, you if you mispronounce it. I'm going to help you. And so often, man, we're just so scared to, to even open our mouths because we think we're going to fail. We think we're going to look foolish and we never even open our mouths. But it's in the uncomfortable things that we grow. It's in the uncomfortable where, 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 where we're stretched. And, and I realize in my life, I value Jesus. I know that I value Jesus. I love Jesus but I'm not sharing Jesus too much. I'm super comfortable talking about Jesus in this space, but in the one-on-one outside of my life with my neighbors and when I'm in concerts, I'm not doing a whole lot of talking about Jesus. So if you're feeling that, I'm here with you, okay? And the Spirit started to trouble me with that, not to condemn me, but to help me see that there's a disconnect. Not that we don't need Jesus, but, but people outside of here, they need him way more. We know him. We've, we have him. We're experiencing him. People don't have him. And I just started watching as, as God started just to give me opportunities. God started to open up some, some doors for me to be in a relationship with people who are not followers of Jesus and he'll do the same thing for you. Like that is God's heart. It is God's desire. If you are willing Just start asking God, literally, hey God, will you put one person in my life that's not a follower of Jesus? If you wanna get in that game, God wants you in so bad. So I started watching. I'll tell you about one just experience that I'm having with with one of my friends. And and, and there's this this guy who is is a Muslim business owner here in our city. So I stopped by and, and I start to get to know this guy and we start having conversation. And, and one day he starts, we start talking about faith and, and he says this line to me, hey, we, we believe the same things, don't we? And I said, we don't believe the same things. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to know that. We don't believe the same things that people who are Muslim believe. We don't. And we started having this kind of uncomfortable conversation. Where where he learns that you know I'm a pastor, I'm a follower of Jesus, and and we're talking, and and um, I I I ask him this question, and he and he um, answers me back, and I and I realize that there's this kind of long line of of people behind me, and so um, I'm like, okay, I'll I'll come back and talk to you another time, and so I go and sit in my car for about ten minutes, and I just have this stirring, like I got to go back in there, like this conversation is not done, and so about ten minutes later, I I walk back in the coffee shop, and it's so awkward, and, and it's like. And I asked him this question. I said, hey, you know, you were just telling me about how Muslim people pray and you were telling me about your belief. What? So I asked him this question. Hey, what do you believe happens to people that die that don't believe in Allah? He's like, do you want the sugar answer? Do you want the real answer? I'm like, I want the real answer. And he said, we believe that you're separated from God. And I said, so how important is it to you that you give your entire life helping people who do not believe in your God to come to know your God. He said he's very important. The line fills up again, and he's like, this is another conversation for another day. And so I'm like, I'm eager for this. I'm like, let's get it on the calendar. I'm like, you know, next Thursday, does it work? And so we kind of have this meeting where I'm gonna go hang out. We're gonna keep diving into this because I wanna know more and I wanna share more. And, and so I text him and, and he said, hey, Thursday night doesn't work. I got, um, I'm, in, I'm going to this event. It's actually at Siloam, where Kim works. That They do this, um, this, um, uh, this event where they honor people who are doing great work in our community among refugees. And, and my friend was presenting this night. And so he said, hey, will you come and, and, and be a part of this with us? And so I'm sitting at this table full of Muslim refugees and we're, we're sitting there talking and I tell him, you know, I, I want to be your friend and I'm gonna be your friend for as long as you'll let me be your friend. But you need to know that I'm in this friendship because I want you to know Jesus that he's not just a prophet and he's not just a a nice person, that he's the son of the living God, that he died for our sins, that he rose from the grave, that he is interceding for us, that we will see him face to face. And you need to know that I'm gonna do everything in my life to help you come to know Jesus. And so he's in Ramadan right now and I'm praying for him. I'm praying for a vision. I'm praying that Christ appears to him and, and, and I stop by the shop once a week and I'm just asking him the harder questions and, and I'm just committing, God, I will do whatever it takes because I want this guy to know Christ and he's asking me questions and it's forcing me that, to, 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 to search and to ask and to grow and I realize that in the sharing, I'm being strengthened and it's in the sharing where I'm being stretched but it's in the sharing where I realize what I actually value. And that value is increasing. Guys, it's not always gonna come with opposition. I think what it looks like, though, is us taking the chances he's putting in front of us, one after the next. Sometimes it looks like asking about your coworker's marriage who is in a rough place and they confided in you a while ago. Sometimes it's just asking them, hey, how are you doing? Sometimes it's, it's asking one of your neighbors who's a single mom, hey, can, can I keep your kids tonight so you can have a night to yourself? Or do you want to come over and play? Do you need an adult conversation? Sometimes it looks like inviting your coworkers to come worship with you. Sometimes it looks like asking your coworker, hey, can I, can I pray for you? I know you're going through a divorce that you did not want. I know that you're grieving a death that you did not want. Sometimes it looks like sharing what God has done in your life. Sometimes it looks like sharing what you believe. And what I realized is that, hey, may, may the hard things that come our way May they reveal what we actually value and what we have in Christ. But let's not sit around and wait for the hard things to come. Let's share Christ and let's share his love. And so we're gonna take communion here in just a minute. We do this every week. We take a piece of bread, we drink a cup of, of, of juice to remember Christ, to remember that his body was broken, that his blood was shed, so that we're in perfect position with God, that because of Christ we're forgiven and we're loved and we're seated in the heavenly realms and that we have nothing but excitement to look forward to. And I want to encourage you this morning as we're taking communion, if you are in a season of testing, if you're in a season of going through some hard things, maybe it's in a relationship or maybe it's your marriage or maybe it's your job or maybe it's your finances or maybe it's with your kids. If you're in a season of testing, share that with people. Let's not come here to, to the body of believers and, and keep our guards up. Let the guards down. This is where the Holy Spirit comes in and works. This is what connects our hearts. this is where, give, this is where God gets a place to move. And so I invite you in communion to share, if you're in a season of testing and to pray for one another. If you don't have someone here that you feel comfortable sharing with, there'll be some men and women, I'll be at the back. We'd love to pray with you. If you come here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus and you're not quite sure, if, if you want to be all in, hey, keep coming back. Keep giving God a chance. If you come here today and you go, man, I do want him. I wanna follow Christ. I wanna love Christ. You can do that today. You can give your life to him. Come to the responder. area. We'll talk you through what that looks like. And the question that if, if neither one of those things apply to you, I wanna encourage you to, to wrestle with this question in communion. What do you value most right now? What do you actually value most? The thing that is taken away from you that would just completely destroy you. What do you value most? And if it's not Christ, Christ already knows that. It's not a surprise to him. Christ wants to be the thing that you value most, the one that you value most. And so just ask him, say, be honest. Christ, I don't value, I value my job or I value this relationship or I value whatever it is. Just be honest, bring that from him and say, God, but I want you to be that thing. I want you to be that thing that I value most. And we'll see what God does. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. God, I pray that that your spirit would just work. And if I said anything or did anything that is not from you, it's not from your heart, that you let it be forgotten and forgiven. And I pray that as we break the bread, as we drink the cup, that you would minister to us and you would move in this space. And God, we want you and we need you. And we pray that you would be the the one that we value more than anything. And so come and meet us. Don't let us be condemned. Don't let the enemy do his work. God, silence him so we can hear your voice calling us to you to know your love, to know that you died for us.